All right. Cool. I'm excited about today's sermon. I'm actually going to start it off with a semi-cheesy, a little bit corny, but still also heart-touching video that I found that I was like, this kind of ties into the sermon, and it's kind of cool. So let's kick it off. สิ่งที่เขาได้คือได้แค่ความรู้สึกได้เห็นความสุขได้เข้าใจได้ความรักในสิ่งที่เงินซื้อไม่ได้ได้โลกที่สวยงามกว่าเดิมในชีวิตคุณอะไรคือสิ่งที่คุณต้องการมากที่สุดไทยประกันชีวิตเชื่อในความดี Great commercial. <laughs> It cracks me up though. It was for life insurance. It was like, it's really, no, it's like life insurance. So, anyways, I know it's a little bit cheesy, but still, yeah. Uh, it was. I thought it was cool, and it's cool because we're today we're talking about contentment, and I just thought that really tied in well to contentment, and it's cool because like that guy to me. Really personifies what I think God wants us to be about. You know, like it's not all about the big shows or anything like that. But He wants His 
children to be people who lead quiet and simple lives and spread his goodness everywhere we go. You know, It doesn't have to be complicated. It's just really good. So today, we're talking about contentment. If you got your Bible, go ahead and flip to James, but don't get too comfortable because we're going to spend a lot of time in Philippians, but we're going to start out in James. So we'll be in chapter 4, and then we're going to uh, verse 13. James 4, verse 13. This is what it says. It says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So as I was studying this passage and thinking about it, you know, um, it seems like, like the face value of it, I feel like, is really apparent. You know, like there are people who are going about making plans, putting them into motion. They're bragging about what they're going to do. They're kind of acting like they rule the day. You know, it's just like we've got our plans. This is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. And James, I feel like it's just reminding them, you know, they're not in control. God is the one in control, right? And we should recognize and humble ourselves before that. So like in verse 14, he says two things. He says, first of all, they don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. So bragging and acting like you've got everything under control is, is foolish because we don't even know what will happen tomorrow. And he reminds them how fragile their lives are. They're like a mist that appears for a little while and then fades away. You know, we have so little control over what the future holds that the fact that we worry about it, that we try to control it, that we stress about it is, is really silly, you know, if you think about it. And so James reminds them, you know, in some ways this feels like a little thing, but I also feel like it's a really big transition in life. If we remember who's really in charge and we humble ourselves before him, that's a good place to be. I just feel like this is really simple, it's plain, it's to the point. It's just like, look, you're not in control. God's in control. Humble yourself before him. Recognize that if he wills, you will live and do this or that. Don't be boasting in your arrogance. And I think a good takeaway for us that's just easy and powerful, just off the top, you know, is to submit to God, you know? Like, don't be trying to make all your own plans. Don't just try and live your own life. We need to recognize he's in control and submit to him and let him guide us. You know, that's just an obvious and easy and powerful takeaway. He's the one that gives us life. We should recognize that and submit our lives to him, right? It's just really simple. But I wanted to go a little bit deeper because there was like a rabbit trail that kind of came from this passage for me. I, I don't know. I feel like I say that a lot, but I often go on rabbit trails. Um, because as I was thinking about the people in this passage and how they're ambitious and they're going out and they're trying to, you know, make a lot of money or whatever they're trying to do, it just made me think about our culture, you know, and like how we live in a culture that I really feel like feeds us, like trains us to be discontent. You know what I mean? Um, now, like I want to be careful here because not everything I'm about to say is bad, but I, I'm hoping y'all will understand what I'm saying. Because if you think about it, like from a very young age, we are trained to be thinking and planning for our future, right? And, 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 and the message we get, I feel like, is that happiness 
and contentment is something that you will get when you arrive at a certain place. You know what I'm saying? Like, once you get to that place of financial, relational, personal status that you want to be at or that you think you should be at, then you will be happy and you will be content, right? Go to that uh, slide of advertising, will you? I, was, I mean, you see it like in the advertising everywhere. It's like, I was cracking up on the elevator the other day because I was like, like the way they do advertising is like, if you have this thing, it will make you happy. And so they show people who have this thing and they're just ridiculously happy. And so I got in this elevator and there's this old couple and they're like driving in a sunset, you know, and they're just so happy. And it's like, it's like, book your hotel reservations early. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, so if I do that, I'm going to be as happy as these people are right here because they're so happy because they booked their hotel reservation early, right? And, and it's, it's the way it is. Like in movies, you know, like we get these subtle and overt messages. Like how many movies are like, here's the main character. They're in a bad situation. They're not happy. Things are hard. But then they meet the person or they find the thing or they find the meaning in life that they've been looking for. And once they get there, the person, the place, the thing, they're happy, right? At the end of the movie, they've arrived. And that's kind of the message I feel like we get too, is like once you get the degree, get the job, get the house, get the spouse, ooh, that rhymed, nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the cars, yeah, for sure. Then you will be happy. You will be content with life once you arrive. And so I feel like a lot of us, without even knowing it, we're in this constant state of trying to get there, wherever that vague there is for us. You all understand what I'm saying? You guys relate to that at all? I know for me, that's been a really big struggle because like even in ministry, you know, I've often wrestled with this idea. If I just had a ministry that was as successful as I'd like it to be, if I could just see the results, quote unquote, that I'd like to see, then I would feel fulfilled and happy. If I could just have the house or the thing that I'm really longing for, then I would be happy. And so I think a lot of us, without knowing it, we like believe in a way, maybe we wouldn't say it outright, like we know God is the only one that makes us happy, but we like have this subtle kind of conditioning that's been put into us. So we're always looking for the thing, moving towards the thing that will really make us content and happy, you know? Um, and I think there's a couple problems just off the top from that that are damaging. I think one thing is that, like, when we have this underlying thing of always trying to get there to be happy, like, it makes us miss out what's right in front of us, you know? I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced personally, but we know what it's like to see people who are working all the time or whatever, you know, people who are missing what's right in front of them just because they're trying to achieve something that they think will bring them that fulfillment, right? And it also, and this is important, I think it produces in us an escapist mentality. Because if you believe that happiness is out there, when things get hard in your job, when things get hard in your relationships, when things get hard wherever you're at, I think so many people duck out early on things that they really should hold on to and stay in the fight a little bit longer because they believe that what I'm looking for, the fulfillment I need is out there. It's in another person. It's in another job. It's in another living situation. It's in another state. You know, if I could just start over, then I could 
get what I'm looking for? You know, it's always out there that happiness is. And so people run away from the hard marriage. They run away from the hard job. And, and I want to be careful because, like, you know, talking about these things always take nuance. Because I do think, like, if you're in an abusive marriage, I wouldn't encourage anybody to just stick it out and tough it out. Like, I would encourage, I think there's a lot of good times for separation working things out, you know? If you're in a bad job and God opens another door, that could be a sign from God. But what I'm trying to say is like that sometimes we need to like figure out what are we operating out of? Are we operating out of contentment or are we operating out of this idea that happiness and what I'm looking for is out there, you know? Are we tempted to leave when we should stay because we are believing an idea that's been presented to us. So I really think understanding contentment is like a really important thing. You know, it's been important for me. I think it's important for all of us to know what is contentment? How do we get there? And so that's what I want to talk about today. And I think it's really important for us in our culture. So I want to talk to you for a little bit about Paul. And then we're going to look at the book of Philippians. So while I'm starting here, you can go ahead and go Philippians chapter one. We'll spend the rest of our time over there. But what's cool about Paul when you study him in the Bible is like you kind of begin to get a picture of who he was because we have so many of his letters, you know? I just finished a book and so much of what I learned about his life, the guy that the book was written about, we, you learn from his letters. And that's, that's cool. Like in the Bible, you can do the same thing because as they're sharing what's on their heart, you kind of get an idea of who they are, what they cared about. And so Paul, um, in Acts 26, 4 through 5, this is the, the picture of who Paul was, and it's pretty cool. It says, My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. He said in another place in Galatians, he said, You heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. So I feel like Paul was one of those type A, Enneagram One personalities, you know, like he was like a driven, strong individual. He was passionate, you know. He was somebody who wanted to succeed, who wanted to ascend. I don't know if he was looking for something. I don't know like why he was this way, but he was very driven, okay, and another interesting, at least that's what I see from here. Uh, you know, I didn't know the guy. I'm just telling you what I see from the Bible, right? But another interesting thing I noticed about Paul is that it seems to me that he really struggled with being discontent, okay? So check this out in Romans <clears throat> chapter 7. He says, What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Now, it's possible that Paul just picked one out of random, you know, in the middle of this discussion. But it's interesting to me that out of all the commandments, he picks this one. You know, we see he's a driven person. We see he was zealous to achieve. And then he says, while he's talking about his own struggle with sin, he says, I had all kinds of covetousness in me. Like, I see in Paul this desire to achieve. He was looking for something out there. He saw what other people had, and he wanted it for himself. He wanted to be the best. 
He wanted to be the most zealous Pharisee. You get what I'm saying? Like he was, he struggled with covetousness. He was not content with where he was. He wanted to be over there. And he was chasing it like hardcore. And so what's amazing to me is when you get into Philippians, like this is who Paul was before he was saved, a covetous, striving, zealous person, right? Then you get into Philippians and he says this, which I think is so cool. He says, not that I speak of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Isn't that cool? Like over here, Paul says, before I knew Jesus, I had all kinds of covetousness in me. I was not content. And now in writing the letter to the Philippians, sitting in prison, he says, I've learned the secret to being content. That is really neat. And I think that's encouraging for all of us who live in a culture that tries to hammer in us discontent. You know, We can also learn how to be content. So I want to just explore some things with you that I see in the book of Philippians that maybe will encourage you as they've encouraged me. Some, the first thing I think we should take, and I encourage you to write some of this down and think about it. Contrary to the idea that contentment is something you achieve by getting somewhere, you achieve by getting the house or the car or whatever, I think what the Bible teaches is that contentment is learned right here. It's not somewhere you get, it's not something you get when you arrive somewhere. It's something you learn right here. And that's what Paul says. He says, I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. Whether I like it or not, whether I'm where I want to be or not, I've learned how to be content. And so contentment, if you really want contentment, that place of peace in your life and happiness, it's not something you're going to gain by getting something you want. It's something you're going to learn even if you don't have what you want, if you're willing. That makes sense? Um, you know, it's not wrong necessarily to pursue the job, pursue the career, pursue whatever it is that you desire in life. But if you think it's the key to your contentment, you're deceived. You won't be happy when you get there either you'll still be wanting or missing something even if you have everything you want. If you never learn how to be content right where you are. I want you to notice something else too. And listen to me, this is important. Contentment does not mean you wouldn't rather have something else. Contentment means you can rejoice where you are even if you'd rather have something else. You hear me? Contentment, could we get this idea with contentment? I have everything I want, but that's not what contentment really is. Contentment doesn't mean you wouldn't rather be somewhere else. We'll see, here, look at these verses with me. Look at Philippians chapter one, verse 23. Look at what Paul says. He says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Okay, and then you can just look at the screen, but I'm gonna skip to Philippians four, verse 14. He says, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And in verse 16, he says, even at Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So Paul is talking about a situation and he says, I have needs, 
I'm in trouble. That word trouble, it can be translated affliction. It was kind of you to share in my affliction. Okay. And he says in chapter one that he really would rather not be here. Like if he had his choice, he would rather go and be with Jesus right now instead of staying here. That's his desire. That's where he wants to be. He doesn't want to be in prison, right? But then he says at the end, I am content. So I think it's important to realize contentment is not about having everything you want. Contentment is, means you can rejoice where you are, even if you'd rather have something else. Does that make sense? That is so important and powerful. It's important because contentment is not contingent on your circumstances. If it is, contentment is so fragile. Because the moment your circumstances change, there goes your contentment. Once you get that new car, but then you crash it, there goes your contentment, right? But when contentment is not contingent on your circumstances, when you can rejoice where you are, even if, it's not, even if you'd rather have something else, that is an amazing thing. So the question is then, how, if it's not contingent on our circumstances, how do we find it, especially if we're in a circumstance we don't want to be in? How do we get contentment? So let's check this out. There are four things that I see in here that Paul practiced that I think are really powerful. Number one, contentment comes through thankfulness. <clears throat> I'm going to read you a few verses in chapter one, starting in verse three. He says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always and every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Skipping down to verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And then going to 18, he says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. What's cool about this is Paul says later on in the chapter, I would rather not be here. My desire is to depart and be with the Lord. Right? But in the middle of his affliction, he takes time to look at and remember what he can be thankful for in it. And that's amazing. That's powerful. He's sitting in prison and he's saying, he's like, um, he's like, the prison stinks. The affliction is difficult. I'd rather not be here. But man, I am thankful for you guys. And I'm thankful for what God is doing in the prison guard and among the other brothers through my imprisonment. I'm thankful that even the people trying to hurt me out there are still spreading the gospel. I'm rejoicing in that. So he's sitting in there, and he's thinking about the things that he has to be thankful for, right? And that is amazing to me. Discontentment always tries to get you to focus on what you don't have. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you have a car, but it's not a nice car. You have a place to live, but it's really not ideal. You have a spouse, but not like you could have. Your boss just doesn't appreciate you. You know, it's always heavily focused on what you don't have. And you can't even appreciate what you do have because you're so focused on what you don't have, right? And thankfulness is a powerful antidote to sit back and be like, yeah, you know, because you don't have to ignore the difficult thing. It's not like you just gloss it over. It's not saying you don't have difficulty with your spouse. It's not saying your job isn't difficult, right? You can look at your job and be like, I have a difficult job, but I am thankful for this, this, and this. I am having difficulty with my spouse, but I am thankful for this, this, and this, right? Thankfulness is powerful to help you find contentment even if you're not where 
you want to be entirely. Now, it's not the whole key, but I think it's a big part of it. Thankfulness is huge. And I want to say thankfulness is not always easy, especially when you're going through a very difficult situation. I know people who are going through extremely difficult situations. Situations where I'm like, I'm a pastor, and I don't know if I could handle it the way you're handling it right now, to be honest. I might have checked out a long time ago. And so I don't stand up in here and try to just glibly say, be thankful, you know? I understand things are hard, but I am still believe it's true that if Paul can sit in a prison cell and find joy through thinking about what he was thankful for, I think there's power in that. To step back and say, God, this is hard, but I am thankful for this and this and this, what you've done in my life and what you've given me. That is powerful. Now, I think number two, contentment comes through a love for others that overcomes self-centeredness. Look at, again, at verse 23 of chapter 1. This is where Paul expresses how he'd really not be there, but look at what he says right after that. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You can look on the screen, but in chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind in yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus. And then going to verse 17, he says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. See, one of the things that kept Paul going was not just the fact that he was thankful for what God was doing, but that he really deeply loved the people that he was suffering for, you know? He's like, even if I have to be poured out as a drink offering for you, I am glad because I love you that much. You know, Jesus is our example. In chapter two, he spends the whole time talking about how Jesus left heaven, became obedient, became a nobody, and suffered death. And he was, if you will, content to endure that suffering because he loved us. Man, that is difficult to swallow. It's difficult to swallow when your boss is being a jerk. It's difficult to swallow when your spouse is being a jerk. It's difficult to swallow when you are in a difficult situation, right? And it's so easy for us to just say, man, I'm out. I'm getting out of here so I can find something that makes me happy. And again, some situations, it's okay to leave. I don't want anyone to think today, I'm trying to say, you just need to stay no matter what. But what I am saying is that it's good to ask ourselves, what does love call me to do? What does love call me to do in this situation? Does God have me in this job to be a light because these people need him? Does God want me to stick it out when things are difficult in my marriage, in whatever relationship I'm dealing with? Love is the key. The next one is contentment comes through trust in God's plan. In chapter 1, look with me at verse 19 and 20. He says, I know. You remember, he's talking about being in prison. He's talking about, you know, and this is what he's referring to. He's talking about being in prison, everything he's going through. And he says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. 
It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul finds contentment here because he knows that God is going to work this out for his good. You know, discontentment always seeks to get us to doubt God, you know? Not only does your situation suck, but if you don't do something about it, it's never going to change. It's never going to be good. Sticking it out is the worst idea you could do. You just need to get out. You need to change, right? Brandon had um, something good to say. We were talking about contentment. I was actually hoping he would share with me, but um, maybe I'll get him to do it later. But... uh, he said something really good. He texted it to me, and I, um, I added a comma, but this is quote of what he said. He said, huh? Yeah. A sense of contentment must be nurtured first by a sense of confidence. I actually put it third, but, you know, whatever. So a sense of contentment must be nurtured first by a sense of confidence. This confidence is regardless of the possibilities that could occur in your life to bring you down. God is working in the background. And Paul is content to be there in prison, to suffer this difficult situation, because he knows that God is going to bring good out of this situation. He knows that. Like he says, I am, what does he say? I know that through your prayers. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. Christ will be honored in my body. You know, when we're in a difficult situation, we tend to doubt God's love for us. Sometimes we even think God is punishing us. God put me in this job because he's mad at me. God put me in this situation because he's mad at me, you know? Discontentment thrives on the fear that if we don't do something, nothing will ever change. But I just want to encourage you from this, you can know God is working. When you... Surrender yourself to God and say, God, I want to be where you want me to be, even if it's difficult. I want to find contentment in difficult situations, even if it's not where I want to be. It's where you want me to be. God is going to work it for good. We can know that. God hasn't forgotten about you. He's not given up on you. Look at number four. Contentment comes through surrender to God's will for your life. Chapter 1, verse 21 of Philippians, it says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Following Jesus' example, Paul surrendered his life to God's will. See, I think contentment can really come in our life when we can say, Jesus, you were willing to enter uncomfortable circumstances out of love in order that we might be saved, And God, if you want me in an uncomfortable circumstance in order that good might come out of it, I am willing. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, God, if if you want me here in this prison, if that's what's going to advance the gospel, I'm willing. I'm content because I am thankful, because I love the people that you called me to serve. I trust you, and I'm surrendered to your will. That's how we can find contentment. Let's say you're in a difficult job. And you don't want to be there. But you feel like God has called you there for some reason. I'm just throwing an idea out there, okay? When you can say, God, I don't like this place. I don't want to be here. I don't deserve the treatment I receive. But I'm thankful for what you've given me here. 
I love the people here that you're calling me to minister to. I trust you to work everything for good if you want me to stay here, and I'm surrendered to it if this is what you want me to do. That is how you will find contentment in that job. You understand what I'm saying? It's not easy. Again, it, grow, it goes against our grain to think that God would ever want us to stay in a difficult job, you know? But we're not here to just make money. We're called to be missionaries. So again, it's like, what does God want us to do? I, I put this as kind of sort of a summary of what I feel like really is all we're talking about. Contentment, it comes from knowing that you are in the center of God's will and being surrendered to that in your life. When you want God's will above all others and you know that's where you're at, you can be content, even if it's hard. When you trust God's will, even if it's not what you want, you can be content, even if it's hard. Because you know that is where God wants you to be. You know he's there with you. You know he's going to work it for good. He's going to help you. You can be content. Now again, I just want to stress, it's not like if you're in a bad situation, you have to stay there or you're messing something up. That's not what I'm trying to say, right? But I think it's good for us to stop in this culture that always encourages us to leave the hard situation and find something better out there and kind of recenter, like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Do you want me in this job, God, even though I don't like it? Do you want me in this situation, even though I don't like it? These people around me that I'd rather just get away from, do you want me here, right? Because if you do, and that's the center of your will, I trust you, God, and I'm willing to stay here. I can be content here, even though it's hard, because I know you're in it. So I think really this sermon is a call just to ask yourself some hard questions, to consider what it is you're dealing with, and, and ask God to help you figure out, is this a place to be content or is it a place to leave? I want to I share with you four questions. Again, they're kind of long. You can take pictures of them or you can write them down, whatever you want to do. But I think, I'm kind of hoping this will be something you can take home and kind of meditate on and think about. I want you to think about, if you're wrestling with an area of discontent, I want you to take these questions and think about them, meditate on them. Number one, am I practicing thankfulness for what God has given me in this situation? Is that a part of my life right now, or am I just wallowing in negativity and discontent? Am I taking time to remember what God has given me and being thankful for that? Number two, are my motives mainly self-centered or am I also considering what would be best for those around me? Like it says in Philippians, are we looking mainly to our own interests or also to the interests of others? It's a good question. Number three, am I trusting God to work everything for good or am I doubting God and his plan? Number four, am I truly submitted to God's will for my life? Or am I trying to create and control my own future? These are good questions for us to ask, isn't it? And again, if you're in a difficult situation, I, I know I keep beating this dead horse, but I'm not trying to put condemnation on anybody. 
If you were to come to me today and say, I'm in this difficult situation, I feel like I need to leave, I, I, I support you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to get anybody to stay in anything that they feel like they shouldn't stay in. But I do want to encourage you to consider these things because if we're believing a lie that happiness is out there, you're never going to find it. You can go from spouse to spouse, job to job, situation to situation. It'll never be there. It'll always be out there somewhere until you can learn what contentment means right where you are, even if it's difficult. If you're in the center of God's will, that is where contentment is found. You know, like I said, some of us are in difficult situations. Um, I, I have a friend right now, it's just in a very difficult situation with their family. And, you know, it's hard. That person believes they are where they should be, they think that's where God wants them to be, but it's hard. They're really struggling, right? They are just struggling because they're enduring a lot. And it just made me, <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day because like, so I like to do this exercise that's hard. It's called the Murph. It's got a bunch of exercises and repetitions. And by the end of the thing, you're supposed to run a mile, okay? And you're just like totally exhausted at the end of the exercise, you know? And especially where I run, like where you start, it goes downhill for like the first half of the mile. And then the last half of the mile, like 80% of it is uphill because you're going back to where you started, you know? So, um, so <laughs> I'm going so slow on that last mile, you know? Like I'm barely moving. Like I think a turtle put his blinker on and passed me and uh, I'm like, see him go by. And, and I know I was kind of laughing because all these cars have passed me on the road, you know? And they just see me like, you know, like this, you know, barely moving. And I know they probably think, what like, what a chump, you know? He can barely run. But, but the thing that got me is like, they don't know what I just went through. They don't know what I've endured to get to that point. Like all they see is me moving a little bit, but I know I'm still moving. Like for a lot of people, they'd be lying on the ground by now, but I'm still moving. I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying like what I, the point of what I'm getting at is some people, some of you might be going through some difficult things. You know it's where you're supposed to be, but it's hard. And other people might not look at you and think you're the admirable or whatever, but God sees you. He sees that you're still moving in this difficult situation. You might be barely moving. It might be just one foot in front of the other, but God sees you and he's with you, right? I just want to encourage you. God is not forgetting about you. You know, it's hard. Like the, the video in the beginning was cool because like he gets to see the tree grow and the girl goes to school and, you know, he gets a dog and the lady gives him a hug. But sometimes in life, when you're doing the right thing, you don't get to see anything for a long time, right? It's just the same old grind. They're not changing. The situation's not changing. Everything's the same. And you just feel like you're just barely trying to make it one step in front of the other, right? I just want to encourage you that God sees you. He's not forgetting about you. He's proud of you for trying to do what you know is right, for trying to find that contentment, even though it's hard. You understand what I'm saying? Ultimately, contentment comes through Jesus' help. I love what Paul says here to wrap it up at the end. He says, Philippians 4, 11, he says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's really what it is, right? 
Where do I find the thankfulness? Where do I find the love? Where do I find the surrender, submission to God's will? Where do I find that? It's through Jesus. It's through bringing my weakness to him and saying, God, I know if this is where you believe God wants you to be. It's saying, God, I know this is where you want me to be, but I'm struggling. Paul says, I found it, the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So I want to encourage you today, if you are struggling with contentment, if you don't know which way to go, honestly, like if you're in a situation where you don't know if you should leave, if you should stay, whatever, I want to encourage you to consider those questions as you pray about it that we talked about. And I also want to encourage you, like he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want you to remember that the church is Christ's body. And part of the way we find strength is through the church. So if you're wrestling with a big decision, if you really don't know what's the right way to go, I just want to encourage you to bring it to people you trust in the church. Talk to them about it. Let's share and encourage each other. That's what we're here for. And if you are in a situation that you think does need to be changed, that you don't think it's healthy, you don't really think it's the most loving thing to do to stay in that situation, we want to talk to you about that too. You know? Like, I just want to say we're here to help you. If you are struggling with contentment, we want to support you. So I hope this gives you some good stuff to think about. And I hope if you are struggling at all, you'll reach out 